I'm Vicki Langford with Project 3810. We are a business incubator here in West OKC, and our mission is to help people become better bosses. Project Boss is our special op to accomplish our mission. Bosses have to manage the business from sales to operations to finances. Bosses need to develop their leadership styles and effectiveness in order to achieve results. And our boss members participate in peer coaching through boss board meetups and boss board roundtables. We expose our bosses to subject matter experts and introduce them to key players to help them achieve their business goals. Welcome, everyone. We are here with our Boss Board podcast, and today we have Rob Miles. We just finished our lunch um, high noon, and we were talking about sales. Sales is a process. So welcome, Rob. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name's Rob Miles. I'm the founder of Thousand Paces. I um, started the company in 2019 to help entrepreneurs find and receive bank lending. Um, I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma. I'm on the State Board of Regents for uh, Workforce Development and also starting a new stretch lab location in Norman. Awesome. And that'll be opening here within a couple months. Hopefully uh, early May. Awesome. A lot of times in the people that I work with, they are like, we need we need marketing help because, you know, our revenues are down. And when you start really getting into asking them questions about everything, their marketing is is actually fine. They have good branding. They understand their how they're advertising their products. And then I usually come back to them and it's like, you know, you actually have a sales problem. And then they're like, well, we don't have, you know, they don't want us to talk about sales. And so it becomes an interesting conversation. And so you and I had talked about this a couple of years ago about, you know, sales really is a process that that even though we maybe aren't all cut out to be what we would consider the traditional salesperson, we actually are capable of learning how to sell. And when we ultimately care about the customer and we care about our products, the art of selling becomes less of a mystery when we follow it up with a process that we can learn and we can get better at as we do it. So that's kind of where this whole idea of realizing that sometimes when you need to increase revenue, we really need to focus in on how we can improve our sales process. So with that, what is our sales process? (laughs) I will say that uh, I started off in sales as my first job out of college. I really don't know if I'm an introvert or an extrovert, but I had never done anything like that before. Um, And so my first day on the job, I was handed a sales script and a phone book, and we had to pitch each other before we could get on the phone. And I remember sweating through my shirt, my jacket. I was so (laughs) nervous. My boss asked me if I needed to go home. And I'm too competitive to let that happen, so (laughs) I figured out how to make it work for me. But Oh, and speaking of competitive, I think it's good. He was a college ball player. Uh, so right yeah yeah if you want to baseball I was on a team (laughs) you were on a team (laughs) so he had the competitive from his sports days and stuff so all right cool I had to figure out how to make sales work for me and part of that was to create a whole process around it and try to figure out ways to mitigate the part that I wasn't good at which was you know going out and and talking to people and being a natural salesman I'm not particularly overt like um like you said extrovert um Part of what I did was understanding the brand because what you want to do when you're actually talking to a customer is to continue to reinforce your brand. And so there's a lot of ways we do that. I always start off with uh, my brand story and I make sure that I say it the exact same way every time because part of branding is saying the same thing repetitively. And 
I don't like scripts, but it does serve a purpose. If you if you mem- if you write a script and you memorize the script, when you do get stuck or when you are having trouble talking to people, that's something you can go off of. And so that's what I do with my brand story. The other thing that I did was to really understand the customer and their needs. And so by understanding what their real problems were and caring about what their real problems were and how I could fix it, it just became a natural conversation when I did meet with them. I could ask them about the things that they were frustrated about on a daily basis, um, as opposed to other salesmen that just go in and, and wing it. Then so that's step one, right? Is I, th- All of this with brand and knowing your story is identifying the customers. Yeah, so I, I turned it into a sales process, and, my, the, uh, and you can find this just about anywhere. The first step in my process was to identify my customer. And um, this is, goes back to a lot of marketing where you set your primary, secondary, and tertiary markets and really understand each one of those specific markets um, and drill down into what their daily frustrations are. Um, if you know where they're at, what they do, how, the, or how they're interacting on a daily basis, then you know exactly where they are and you can cut down on some of the um, cold calls and things like that. And so that, that's how you create a marketing scheme. Second in my sales process is connecting with your customers. And so that's the actual process of going through the sales calls. I, like I said, I was handed a, a leads list and a phone book and said, make 100 phone calls a day. And so I can tell you making 100 phone calls a day is a real beat down. But if you stick to this process, you can um, get to a point where you, have, you can make less calls and spend more time on the fun things like getting to know your customers. Um, so connecting with the, the customers is the second part. Third, customer interaction, and this is where you set up the meeting, and now you're meeting with them in person. And I've got a whole process on how I go through on this, but uh, yeah, that's the part that most people are terrified of, is sitting down and actually talking to somebody. During that that phase, then you have to close it. And this is one of the hardest things to teach new salespeople is you have to actually ask for the sale. They get nervous about it or they result or they re, uh, revert to um, like high pressure sales tactics and things that are taught. And really what we find is that in a true relationship building style sale, those close ta- closing tactics hurt your business rather than help. It may help a little bit in the short run, but it always damages it in the long run. And then probably my favorite part, and this was that sales manager that followed me, this was her passion, was do the follow-up. So we always did uh, follow-up every two days, two weeks, two months. I love that. It's a good uh, tweetable moment, as Oprah would say. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, after you close a deal, you want to follow up every two days to make sure that your product is uh, fulfilling the needs that that you originally set out to fulfill. Every two weeks, um, they've had it for a little bit longer, and now they actually have some experience, and you can build on that experience. So you can say things like, well, has this fulfilled the, that problem that you had? Do you have other friends or people around you that have that same problem, and would you be willing to introduce me? And then that two months is, all right, you've had this for a long time. Is it working out for you? Can you introduce me to other people? And so those referral tactics really help you mitigate those cold calls and things like that that nobody likes doing. And working a warm lead or a hot lead is so much easier than working a cold lead. Not to mention, it is so much cheaper. So you're not spending as much yeah, time dr- going through the, the cold calls and things like that. So you can free yourself up. Awesome. So we've talked about identifying and uh, a little bit more in depth. And I feel like that's something that you we would deep dive in a marketing conversation. So let's get into the connecting and interacting steps and kind of break down a little bit the process within the process. <laughs> One of the best sales guys I've ever worked with gave me this book a long time ago called Spin Selling. And I reread it before this uh, before this presentation. I love it. Just Doing to homework. Uh, refresh myself. Prep but, work. But uh, 
if I go into a meeting, like I said, I, I have a sales script, and I always start off with um, introducing myself and my brand story, just so they we're all on the same level of who I am and why I'm there. But then uh, spin selling is breaking down into situational questions, problem questions, implication questions, and the needs payoff. So situational questions, these are the ones that can really irritate people if you don't do it right. But it's trying to understand who you're talking to, who the decision makers are, who, you know, where they're from, things like that. What's um, an example of an irritating or something that would be the irritating question for the situational? Well, if I booked a meeting with you and I came in and said, Vicki, who are you? What, what, what is your title? <laughs> That, that's oh, going to irritate you, right? Gotcha. I, it shows that I yeah. haven't done my homework. What title should I do? I want to tell this guy today. Right, <laughs> but if I, just, I if I yeah. spent ten minutes going on LinkedIn and looking at your background, where you're from, I would already know that. So I can skip a lot of those questions by and, doing a little bit of prep, googling, right. and things like that. LinkedIn can be your best friend to to mitigate some of those questions. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so once I understand who they are and what I can this will sound bad, but what I can actually get out of them, what, what decisions can they actually make? Then I dive into the problem problem questions. What I'm looking for is probing for what their needs are. And so a probing question might be something like, tell me about your current provider. If I was selling something to you that was a provider, right? Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. copy machines or something is what I always think of. But So when, when somebody has a problem like that, they always, they're, they're willing to talk if I, about Yeah, it. if I'm shopping, I, I'm going to be able to tell you the reasons I'm shopping. Right. If you ask these open-ended probing questions, your customer will always tell you exactly what they need and how they need to be sold. So you can change your sales approach depending on their answers. Next, I go into implication questions, which is trying to understand if the problem you just told me is really an issue for you or if there's an underlying issue. I, I sold baseball tickets for a long time and we would sell tickets to uh, big companies. Ernst & Young was one of my big com uh, uh, clients. And so I would ask them, you know, tell me about a, an event that you've done before in the past. And they'd always say, oh, well, we did X, Y, and Z, and it was uh, unorganized, and, um, you know, we, we're just not going back there. And so you have to figure out, was the issue really that they were unorganized or that their employees didn't like it and that was their, their way of coping with it? So, ah, that's the story they told their bosses. Right. So <laughs> you really if you if you go what down the rabbit the hole cause? on a problem that wasn't really the problem. Gotcha. You, you can really mess yourself up. So really, those implication questions are just trying to let them vent and trying to understand uh, what the the underlying issue is, like you said. Gotcha. And then last but not least is the needs payoff question, which is the uh, doing the math or the show me the money question. And I might ask you something like. You know, if uh, we, we were big into um, employee turnover. So if if you brought your employees out, um, or right, let me back up. How much does employee turnover cost you on a monthly basis? Uh, $3,000. $3,000. Is that uh, training employees? Is that? Yes. I have to train them. I have to take time away from other duties. So, you know, So what's my the time? ramp up period for, your, for a new employee? Um, 60 days. So if you did something that helped them stay in that seat, the, the benefit to staying with your company, do you think they would stay longer? Oh, yeah, definitely. So if you came out to our ballpark once a month, brought all your employees out, and they stayed longer, they stayed uh, an extra six months, perceivably we could save you three to ten grand, right? Wow. Does that, would, would that help <laughs> your bottom line? Gotcha. A little rusty on that pitch, sorry. But uh, 
Yeah, the, how how can you it's actually a conversation show a I don't true know that, if, that I'm being sold. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how, like knowing your customers' problems and knowing your products and how it can solve those type of problems. But then you're saying go ahead and do the math for them and figure out. Really paint the picture on, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's you're solving a problem to save them money, whether you're uh, helping them close new business, whatever their problem is, show them exactly how you can fix it. Mm-hmm. You, you use any of those techniques during the connecting and interacting steps is kind of, or the connecting step is different. The connecting step is um, tr- trying to get in touch with your customers. So okay. it's the, a lot of the cold calls and things like that. and. In my experience, nobody wants to be on a cold call. So the shorter you, the shorter you make the cold call, the better. It's a lot of, yeah. hey, I'm Rob Miles. This is what I do. Click. <laughs> right. <laughs> 90% of the time, I'm getting hung up on, and so a lot of that is just a, a numbers game. So no, I wouldn't. Okay. So the questions on, these are focusing on when you're actually, either you get somebody that's like willing to talk to you on the phone, or you're setting a meeting with them, right? Um, to do your pitch is where you kind of think about these tools, right. situational probing, um, implication, and then a payoff. Absolutely. All right, cool. I think I'm understanding here. And then, like I said, at the end of it, you're following up. So you're setting a follow-up meeting to make sure you, you fulfilled their needs, that everything's working the way that they want, and then asking for referrals. Super simple. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think that the practicing, realizing that as a manager or a business owner, if I'm building out my sales department, there's gonna be some people that have already that natural ability or maybe they've been in sales before that they're gonna have these abilities and techniques already and they're not gonna know. You're, you as an uneducated in the sales process stuff, it's gonna seem like a mystery of like, oh, these guys are amazing and I need four more of them. When in reality, they might actually hold you hostage because you think that what they do is so unique or like an amazing talent. When if you if you're smart about it and break it down, now you can figure out your sales programs. So I think that's why it's really important as entrepreneurs. If if it's not if we're not natively into sales and understanding some of this, we need to make sure that we're really paying attention to their process and how we're how we're closing accounts. And so that's why I feel like it's really important for the managers, our owners, to get involved in in figuring out these type of things. What is that flow? What are the situational things we can solve? What pictures are we painting for them? Well, if you want to look at it from a manager's position, somebody who's not in the sales realm, the truth is that sales positions have a, have a high turnaround, right? So a lot of people get burnt out on it. Somebody's always offering more money, so you have a tendency to, to burn through them occasionally. So you always have to keep that in the back of your mind. If you set up a process, is that something that when they leave or if they leave, can you recover what they've been doing? So yeah, yeah. CRMs are a great way to, to mitigate some of that. You collect all the information in a, in a program, so if they do leave, it's not all on their personal cell phone or their personal Facebook page or something like that. It's, yeah, it's, a it company. stays with. Um, tool. So CRM stands for? Customer Relationship Management Program. So 
Yeah, not Salesforce. Yeah, I was going like to say Salesforce. A, I don't want to. I don't want to rep them. But right, right. That's like I'm one of the big dogs that 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 uh, is out there. There's a lot other tools, a lot of different price points on these type of right. tools. It can also be a Google spreadsheet or something like that yep. that you set up. As long as it's a way that you track all these leads that are coming in and that you're tracking your customers, um, and those customers belong to the company. Right. Um, and we want to make sure that the company has a relationship with them. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So if that person does leave, how can you still get in contact with their yes. customers? And that that relationship the customer has is not more important one-on-one with that salesperson, but it's actually the company. Right. So I think you see that a lot, like let's say in a, a law firm or something, where I am dealing with this one attorney that I know and trust, but he goes to a different law firm, I'm probably going to follow the attorney right. because that's who I have the relationship with. And in a normal business case, we didn't, we wouldn't want that situation. Uh, I'll tell you, starting this franchise has been really eye-opening because it's allowed me to network with a lot of new business owners and things like that. And um, there was a, a customer, or not a customer, there's a franchise owner, I forget where they were, but they, they let their sales process go a little bit, and they had a general manager who decided to leave and start their own practice. They lost over fifty percent of their customer base because they they left. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't know. There, yep. There's ways to mitigate that, but at, at the end of the day, you have to I trust think, who you're hiring. So. Yes, and having a, a really good transparency though to um, for the the business owner or the entrepreneur that's kind of getting into scaling and realizing I'm going to have to have salespeople is that your your process is tied to your business and the relationships are tied to your business. Right. So I think that's really important. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is, um, I mean, it seems very short and see, sweet and very easy, but it's it definitely takes some work to implement a process and really understand how you're going to, your, your competitive advantage, as they say in the, in the business books, for your customers. But it's worth um, work breaking it down. So um, don't, don't try to outsource that work of understanding how your product helps your customers and who your customers are so that you can make it a, a company-wide. Everybody knows this is how we do our sales and this is what type of customers so yeah. sales, there's no other way to cut it. Sales is a grind and it's an everyday process. You have to continue to build sales and build relationships. And even creating the process is a grind because you're taking focus away from doing the things that create money to create this whole process. But in the end, it makes things easier. You break down everything into little steps. It helps you achieve it and it helps you give you a starting point. So at the end of the day, even though it takes a little bit longer and it is a grind, it's all worth it. Very well said. I do have a closing question here. Let's say I've I've got this process down, but and I've hired I've got a couple of good salespeople on my staff. I've hired somebody; they're not performing as well as the other ones. Um, what is your takeaway on on that? How do we work with the salesperson? Um, obviously, I, from an HR perspective, we want to continue to make sure they understand and it's not a training issue. But let's say we're not getting the results that we need. How would you handle? What's your recommendations there? Uh, last summer, I was introduced to The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's a great book for sales managers because it goes a lot into um, people un- understanding your 
employee just as well as you understand your customer. I think a lot of those uh, tactics that we were just talking about of asking the probing questions and things like that can be translated from building a relationship with your customer to building a relationship with your employee as well. So I think a lot of it is um, trying to understand what their real issue is, um, trying to help them fix the issue. Sometimes it is a training issue. Sometimes it's they're burnt out. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's uh, they have something bad going on at home and how can you help fix all, or not even fix, but how can you make it less stressful for them? Gotcha. At the end of the day, sometimes it is burnout and not a cultural uh, fit or something. So. Right. So then you have to have some harder conversations. But I think more times than not, it's they don't understand what they're doing. So setting realistic goals and helping them create uh, a process for their daily duties. Sometimes it's you know something like this where they're overwhelmed and you need to break down steps and create a process for them on their daily tasks and things like that. Sometimes it is uh, maybe we're not working together well. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. What about somebody who's like, oh, my product's really technical. I just can't hire anybody off the street to sell this product. It's a it's a rocket sign. It's a rocket engine. You know, <laughs> what is the? How do we solve that? Uh, that's a the great technical sales versus the process of this. <laughs> uh, I'm probably too dumb to be in that situation. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not the right person to ask. But I, I, I guess. Uh, Off the top of my head, I would say if you can't sell it to somebody else, then your customer probably doesn't know what they're doing. So if you have, you can create a brand story or a a sales script to break down what your product is in a way that I can understand it. Um, So I I guess if if your employees having trouble um, explaining this to customers, maybe you need to look at your sales script again, or maybe you need to have more training with your, with your employee. Or um, I know you guys do a great job of product training and, and product testing with your employees. So maybe that's something you need to look into of, you know, make them go install a subwoofer so they understand the different aspects and components of it. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. <clears throat> Sounds good. I think there's also, um, the salespeople don't need to always get into the technical weeds. You can have mm. like another tier of a technical that's, that's not point. necessarily a salesperson, but they, you know, technical rep or technical engineer that salespeople lean on to have those really in-depth. Because a lot of times the person that is the actual buyer isn't as techie either. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be somebody in their organization that is the one actually implementing the product or using the products, talking to a tech person. So the, the tech peoples get together and talks all the, d- the right. stuff, and then the business um, relationship is not as, as in-depth technically. So I think yeah. that's understanding that layers, and, and we, it's usually never necessarily a good idea that your, your product engineer is going to be really great at some of these tools of interacting and building relationships. Right. So it's probably best that you have a little bit of distinction there, I right. guess. Yeah. Was it? I heard a funny joke about engineers. Something about uh, <laughs> I don't know, can't can't walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. Most of them, or something like that. So uh, yeah, you probably don't want your engineer making cold calls, right? Right. That's usually not their their personality traits. But uh, you know, your sales, your your true sales reps, or your relationship managers, however you want to go about it. Um, and even some companies break those down into two different positions, where you're true sales guy is the one making the cold calls and making contacts, and then they introduce them to a relationship manager that does a better job of following up and 
um, keeping in constant contact with them. And then if that person gets confused, then they can talk to the engineer or something. Right. Yeah, usually you don't want your engineers on the phone, but I have met uh, people that, that disagree with that. So. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it is, there's layers. And I, and when you, sometimes in, as your company is, if depending on what size you are and if you're scaling or what, having those different positions that the customer talks to also helps mitigate that one-on-one relationship and, you know, your customer's walking out the door something goes south um, with with that one key person. So if if I'm talking as a customer, if I'm talking to my account manager when I call and place my orders every day, and then I have, you know, another salesperson that's checking up on me, you know, to make sure my big picture stuff's working out. And, and then I have technical people that are calling and saying, is everything functioning how it's supposed to be? I mean, I feel like I'm going to feel the love right. as a customer. So um, and then as the business is protected, I think a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. The more uh, people that have contact with that person, the less chance that you're, they're going to get in a silo and not talk to anybody else. So if that salesperson does leave, they still have a relationship with the either the salesperson or the, the engineer in this scenario. So I can see that. Uh, the other issue is some, we're, we're all business owners, right? And the, right. At least in your scenario, you're usually selling to a, a retail customer. So they have busy schedules too. So right. you need to set up a schedule so you're not calling them every day or every hour or whatever, bugging them. But right. you are staying in constant contact to, to be there when something does go south. Yeah, yeah. So there is kind of a balance to it, I guess. That's yeah. my point. Very good. Well, do you have any other, any closing words or anything as we wrap up this episode? I'd just say that if you understand sales is a grind and you understand that the more you do it, the easier it gets. The obstacle is the way, I guess. So it, it is the, the hard thing that you have to get over. Um, the more you do it, kind of the easier it gets. And creating things like branding and um, follow-up processing only makes it easier. So a lot of sales guys that are in it for 10, 20, 30 years, they're not touching the phones. They're having people call them at the end of it. So right. if you set up these processes, eventually you don't have to do the hard part of cold calling and stuff like that anymore. Gotcha. Well, very good. Very good. Sure. Appreciate it. And we'll have links and everything in our in our show notes for Rob's information and any other resources that we touched on. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.